Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. The Economist. Hello and welcome to The Intelligence from The Economist. I'm your host, Jason Palmer. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. The cost of car insurance is rising pretty much everywhere, but it's skyrocketing in America. Maybe it should. However expensive it may have become there, it's still not expensive enough to counter what it really costs to have an accident. And there is just a bonkers set of conspiracy theories going around that ties together Taylor Swift, her boyfriend, the Super Bowl, and Joe Biden. We ask why this celebrity mix is such fertile ground for wild suspicions. But first... Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky announced urgent changes at the very top of the military yesterday. As had been rumored for days and days, he confirmed the dismissal of Valery Zeluzhny as commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Mr. Zeluzhny had a crucial and visible role in the early days of Russia's invasion, spearheading a military response that overcame odds and expectations. Troops and civilians alike came to respect him, and now they're sorry to see him go. Horses should not be changed at the crossing said this man on the streets of Kyiv. We should think of victory first instead of political preferences. That choice of words hints at why President Zelensky thought the general had to go. But as much as the nation's military leadership may have needed a shake-up, the nation's perspective on the war does too. A long time now there have been tensions right at the top in Ukraine between the President Volodymyr Zelensky and his top soldier, Valery Zeluzhny. Edward Carr is The Economist's deputy editor. And these really got a lot worse recently, and the speculation over the last 10 days or so, it's been been amazing because it's been about every day we've been waiting for an announcement. It's finally come. Zoluzhny has been more or less sacked and as a reorganization, and it raises all sorts of questions right now at this very delicate time about what this means for the campaign, what this means about politics in Ukraine, and where we go from here. And there was all this speculation because there was this notion that there were real disagreements going on. What was at the heart of the clash there? 
Well, certainly they're very different personalities. And at the beginning of the war, this didn't really matter. Right at the start, it's very clear that everybody got with their own job. And Zelensky was this amazing communicator who galvanized the nation. At the same time, Zeluzhny had been preparing for an invasion in quite a quiet way, not even telling the political leaders what he was up to. And he led this remarkable defense. And that was a kind of strength of the country at the beginning. But the differences in personality started to matter much more. These tensions really came to a head towards the end of 2023 when General Zeluzhny wrote a piece for us by invitation in which he said that the fighting had reached a stalemate. And that's really something that Zelensky and his team did not want to hear. And these differences in personality found an expression really in the conduct and future of the war. And that's when things got really difficult. But if Mr. Zeluzhny was claiming there was a stalemate, that would have fallen to him, would it not? Yeah, of course. As the commander-in-chief, it's his responsibility for the conduct of the war. He can point to all sorts of reasons for this that are beyond his control, particularly the sluggish supply of weapons. But ultimately, it's his responsibility. And I think it's important to say that in a democracy, the politicians have control. It's very important that the armed forces are subordinate to them. Having said that, though, there are now questions about how to prosecute this war, and there is room for disagreement here. And the real difference, I think, is that Zelensky wants to see the Ukrainian armed forces push forward, and Zelensky's are much more cautious. And there's a particular disagreement about the mobilization of troops. This war, at the beginning, People came back to Ukraine to fight. It's getting much harder to recruit soldiers now, understandably, after two years of fighting. But mobilizing troops is really hard. It's unpopular as well. And Zelensky wants this to be undertaken by the armed forces. But Zeluzhny says it's a political responsibility. And I think Zeluzhny is right about that. But this question of mobilizing forces is particularly acute because after the presidential elections in Russia, which are coming up in the spring, it's expected that Russia will start to mobilize a lot more troops. So there's a difficult decision coming and they couldn't agree about how to resolve this. Well, whatever the nature of the disagreements, it's not down to Mr. Zeluzhny anymore. Who, who will take over from him? Whose problem is it all now? It's the commander of Ukraine's land forces, Alexander Sierski, who has had some really notable successes on the field, but he is much less popular with the troops than Zeluzhny is. Do you remember those big advances that the Ukrainians made towards the beginning of the war? That was the bits he was commanding. But he has things that have spoiled his reputation among the soldiers, and particularly the dogged defense of Bakhmut, which was not a strategically important place. But I think at Zelensky's behest, Ukraine defended with a large loss of life. And I think that has somewhat colored his reputation among the troops. He was trained in Russia and he's seen as something of having a Soviet style of fighting, which pushes men forward. And I think he's much less likely to challenge Zelensky, which is one reason why he's been appointed. He's an able soldier, a professional, but he himself won't be able to turn this around. One reason is that Ukraine is really running short of artillery shells and other weapons. And you can see from the disputes in the United States over allocating a lot more money to Ukraine that there is a crunch on funding too. And right now, as things stand, this is a defender's war. It's very hard to go on the attack and take ground. Russia's throwing men 
at the front line and losing them in huge numbers and making very small advances. So the realities of the battlefield as ever in this war will exert themselves on the political process. And I don't see Sierski's appointment as fundamentally changing that. Well, indeed, his appointment, if he's less popular with the troops, may have a, a negative effect on morale too, right? That's true. And there'll also be consequences as you go through as people are moved around the armed forces that could be disruptive. I think it's also true in a more general sense, Jason, because Zaluzhny was amazingly popular in the country as a whole. And indeed, that might be one further reason why Zelensky and the people around him felt somewhat threatened by Zaluzhny. So if this change in the commander-in-chief doesn't really change things on the battlefield much, and then the real question is about conscription and the like, then where does that leave us? Well, I think it leaves Zelensky with a really important task to reframe the war. Right at the beginning, when we interviewed him in Kiev, right in the early weeks of the war, he spoke very passionately about this being a war of values. And since then, the language has become a lot more about territory. Whatever Zelensky thinks privately, his public position is that Ukraine must get back every inch of occupied territory. And I think it's clear that that's not going to happen. I think it's therefore, not just for that reason, but also for something more fundamental, Zelensky needs to reframe this war as being a war about values. And by that, I mean a war in which Ukraine emerges as a democratic, prosperous, westward-looking country. That is really what Russia and Ukraine are fighting about. It's Ukraine's identity. It's not so much every inch of territory. And I think by pursuing an impossible goal, instead, by reframing the war, he can help people remember and understand what it's really about. And I think that would have the extra advantage of reminding the Western supporters of Ukraine, what they're fighting about, too. Edward, thank you very much for your time. Jason, great pleasure. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. In America, car insurance is getting eye-wateringly expensive. Last year, premiums went up by 20% on average, even as inflation was on the way down. Insurance rates are skyrocketing nationwide. Your car insurance premium could increase by more than 20%. The cost of car insurance is in overdrive these days, hundreds of dollars higher for some folks. State regulators often set the limits on car insurance costs and are approving all of these increases, well, because the numbers otherwise just don't add up. For every dollar insurers took in last year, they paid out $1.08 in claims. And here's where even more doesn't add up. For those claimants, insurance is still failing to do what it's supposed to. Car insurance in America has been getting a lot more expensive, and yet car insurance doesn't really cover you. You can, in fact, make the argument that it's still too cheap. 
Daniel Knowles is The Economist's Midwest correspondent. Just the economic cost to America of car crashes is about $340 billion a year. The cost, once you include lost lives, get to over a trillion dollars. And car insurance covers not even half of the first figure. And before we get into the trend here, let's pick apart the first thing. How is it that the insurance isn't covering the costs of crashes? That's what all those actuarial tables and actuaries are for, right? That's the whole point. A case that really helped me understand this was a car crash in Portland, Oregon, that happened in 2010, when a father called Eric Dubarry and his two-year-old son, Seamus, were crossing a street. And they were crashed into by an elderly driver who mistook the accelerator pedal in his car for the brake, hit the pair, as well as another person, and awfully, Seamus died the next day in hospital. This was a genuine accident. The driver obviously stopped. He was insured. But the hospital bill I took to Seamus' mother was $180,000 just for his care before he died. And it's the sort of thing that car insurance is meant to cover. But it didn't. Even worse. The Dubarrys did get a settlement with the driver's insurance company. But when they tried to get the money, their health insurer and car insurer, their own insurance companies, that is, went first and were able to essentially claim the whole amount. So that meant that the Dubarrys got nothing to cover their own costs, you know, like the time they had to take off work. In Oregon, the minimum liability level of insurance that you have to have is only $25,000. The driver in this case had more than that, but his insurance only covered up to $100,000 per victim of liability in a car crash. All of the money that his insurance would pay out didn't even cover the hospital bill. So there simply wasn't enough coverage to cover the cost. So the real root of the problem here is in the law, the amount of coverage that you simply must have. Perhaps that should be raised. Is that the issue? Essentially, America really stands out in this. If you look at other countries, you know, in the rich world, every country pretty much insists that drivers have insurance and particularly third-party insurance in the UK or liability insurance in America, which is basically insurance against the damage that you might do if you hit somebody else. And in Europe, the minimums are in the millions of euros. In Germany, it's 7.5 million euros. In Britain, liability for injury is actually unlimited. In America, those limits are generally as low as fifteen dollars or $20,000. They vary state by state and nowhere get higher than $100,000. Often they haven't increased for decades. And that's despite the fact that America has a lot more car crashes than other countries. A lot of people just aren't insured for the damage they might do if they get involved in a crash. Then why not simply make the required amount of liability insurance higher? So that's kind of where the politics come in. The more coverage you require people to have the more expensive their car insurance and generally more expensive car insurance is very unpopular. So some states are actually going the other way. Michigan used to have some of the most expensive car insurance in the United States because they had this requirement that people buy coverage for unlimited medical costs for their own medical costs, in fact, and they removed that requirement. And that's led to a big drop in the cost of premiums. But the thing about getting cheaper premiums that way is that you still have car crashes and you still have all the costs that they're imposing. So what you're actually doing is those benefits to drivers of paying less for their car insurance are just loaded onto the victims of car crashes who have to pay more of the costs themselves. And 
as so often with driving in the United States. Drivers are getting a hidden subsidy and it's society at large that's paying the bill. Daniel, thanks very much for your time. Jason, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. America is gearing up for the biggest day in the calendar of what it calls football, Super Bowl Sunday, pitting the Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers. 6.13 to go in the game. 49ers 20, Kansas City 17. Let's get it! Let's get it! This shit over! This shit over! Let's go get it! The two teams faced each other in the same game four years ago. Some fans might call the repeat fixture a boring conclusion to the season. Hey, it's gonna be special. They're gonna talk about this forever, baby. They're gonna talk about this forever. For others, though, the real action won't be what happens on the field. See, Americans love two things almost as much as football, celebrity and conspiracy. So the courtship of an international idol of music and a dashing footballer who happens to play for one of the teams in the final, who boy. Buckle up for this one. Taylor Swift is a goddess of pop, and Travis Kelsey is a huge star in the NFL. Andrew Miller writes Backstory, our column on culture. And their relationship has spawned lots of conspiracy theories, which have become increasingly more outlandish as the Super Bowl has approached. Walk me through the range then. Uh, What are the tame ones and what are the really bonkers ones? Well, Jason, they're all pretty bonkers, but some of them focus on commercial motives, and in particular, the idea that somehow this relationship has been rigged to get younger female viewers more interested in the NFL. And those who think this way point to the regular appearance on screen of Miss Swift as she attends Mr. Kelsey's games and cheers him on in the stands. Sunday night football. Oh, and yeah, she's here. Taylor is in the house. Get that out for us. Taylor is here and ready to watch as the Chiefs and the Jets way through the third. Taylor's still here. He comes to New York, maybe we can... Uh, but others believe please. that the whole NFL has been rigged to get his team, the Kansas City Chiefs, into the Super Bowl, where, of course, Miss Swift will appear again. And this is not just to lift the TV ratings, according to this theory, but rather it's a deep state psyop to boost Joe Biden's electoral hopes. Now, stay with me here, Jason. It's because, well, Miss Swift endorsed him last time around, and the idea is that she's going to do so again this Sunday at Super Bowl. Of course, there are even wackier versions out there, like, for example, that Taylor Swift's concerts all promote Satanism, or that uh, she's a member of the Illuminati, a secret elite that is trying to govern the world. You get the picture. Yeah, sorry, I was just um, adjusting my my tinfoil hat. Um, Where is this stuff coming from, though? Well, the short answer is it comes from people with too much time on their hands. But another answer is, I guess, the more outlandish and extreme parts of the American right. Although these ideas have been given fuel by broadcasters, including Fox News. She's all right. But I mean, have you ever wondered why or how she blew up like this? Well, around four years ago, the Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated turning Taylor Swift into an asset during a NATO meeting. What kind of asset? A PSYOP 
for combating online misinformation. Listen. These wacky conspiracies, Jason, have been widely reported, including by people who purport to discredit them, but of course in doing so, give them more oxygen until they've come to occupy a big swathe of the American media landscape. But still my question is why? Why fixate on this couple in particular? Well, I agree, Jason, it seems odd that Taylor Swift, a much-loved pop star, has become a fixture in conspiracy theories. But actually, celebrities often are. I mean, conspiracy theorists allege that the dead ones are really alive or that they've been assassinated or replaced by clones. And I think part of it is that extreme celebrity, like Taylor Swift, has quite a lot in common with conspiracies. That kind of fame and celebrity is almost a form of mass hypnosis in which fans imbue their idol with all kinds of power and significance beyond the merely mortal. And in truth, in this case, actually, Taylor Swift does have an enormous reach and influence. For example, her current tour has been blamed for causing inflation in Singapore and an earthquake in Seattle. All the shaking at Swift's Seattle show this past weekend, it actually caused the equivalent of a 2.3 magnitude earthquake and it lasted several hours. That's a new record. It beat the- I mean, this is a woman who's so famous that both the Pentagon and Japanese diplomats have put out cringy statements punning on her lyrics. I must concede that we have covered the Taylor Swift earthquake and the Taylor Swift inflation bump on the show before. But let's keep our focus on America for now. What does it tell you that this is now a sort of politicized American obsession, that that the story has reached these heights? Well, I think American politics at the moment is especially conducive, not only to conspiracy theories in general, but to theories about entertainers in particular. After all, one of them, Donald Trump, a reality TV star, became president, blurring the line further between politics and showbiz, and also dragging conspiracy theories to the centre of political debate. He also, I think just as importantly, did something else, which was to exacerbate America's extreme political polarisation. And this is a mindset in which your opponent is not just a rival, but an enemy. And your enemy's always up to something, so that politics reaches into all kinds of places, like sport and music, for example, but really it doesn't belong. And politics itself starts to resemble a kind of contest between conspiracy theories. And both of them are always moving on to the next target and the next speculation, which in this case has landed with Taylor Swift. Okay, so what do we expect on game night? Is there a big reveal? Will someone take off their mask and show themselves to be the shape-shifting lizard person? Jason, I don't want to disappoint you and our listeners, but I think it's just about possible that these conspiracy theories are wrong and that the Kansas City Chiefs have got to the Super Bowl under their own steam and that Mr. Kelsey and Miss Swift are really just a likable young couple in love. On the other hand, Jason, it could be that the conspiracists are vindicated and at half time during the game, Miss Swift somehow signals her support for Joe Biden as the camera pans her way. And it could be that Mr. Kelsey is outed as a shape-shifting lizard. Who knows? But even if those things don't happen, I think the conspiracy mongers will find a way to explain it. Andrew, thanks very much for your time. Jason, good to talk as ever.
That's all for this episode of The Intelligence. One more reminder for this week. The subscription that will get you access to all of our podcasts is on sale for half off just for this month. It's called Economist Podcasts Plus. It costs a shade over two bucks a month at the moment. And the more of you that sign up, the less often I'll have to harp on about it. Eh, maybe. The show's editors are Chris Impey and Jack Gill. Our deputy editor is John Joe Devlin. And our sound engineer is Will Rowe. Our senior producers are Rory Galloway and Sarah Larnyuk. Our senior creative producer is William Warren. Our producers are Maggie Kadifa and Benji Guy. And our assistant producer is Henrietta McFarlane. We'll all see you back here tomorrow for the weekend intelligence. If you're a subscriber, which is to say you should get that deal. Okay, that was the last time, sorry. World peace might feel kind of like a pipe dream, but what if I told you it's not? 2024 will see more than 50 elections around the world. And in some places, peace is actually on the ballot. One reason is because countries in Europe and Latin America have been experimenting with this thing called feminist foreign policy. Because right now, the way that we wage war and peace, it's kind of a boys club. The new season of Things That Go Boom from Inkstick Media and PRX is coming March 18th. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.